as we're singing that part just what kept rising up in me is that some of y'all I don't know who you are where you are but you actually have to cast down the fear there's been fear and anxiety trying to get on you trying to rise up within you it's like your insides have been spinning and turning but you've not been given a spirit of fear that's not from the Lord so cast those things down you have to cast them down You have to cast them down. You have to take your authority. You have to cast down fear, anxiety. You know, that word fear means so many things. It's not just like being afraid of something because often that's not how we feel it. We feel in the form of stress or worry or anxiety, but it's still all fear and it still all needs to be cast down. So as we're just singing, I sense the Lord say, we have to physically like picture ourselves casting it down. So that when we sing these words, we actually know them. If God be for us, who could be against us? No matter what's going on all around us, we just keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking to Him. Looking to Him, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are not moved by what we see. We are not moved by circumstances. We are only moved by You, Lord. We love You. We praise You. We praise you. So even now, cast those things down. Let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, come upon you and guard your heart and your mind through Christ. Let that be your, your testimony today. Let that be your testimony today, that his peace guards you. That anxiety and fear has lost. Thank you, Jesus. So even now, even now, just go ahead and do that. Thank you, Lord. Every fear down. Thank you, Lord. You say we will not be anxious for anything, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, we will make our requests known unto you. And your peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We trust in you this morning, Jesus. We bless you this morning, Jesus. We say, anxiety, fear, your day is gone. Your day is gone. We cast you down in Jesus' name. Please turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. One of the real blessings about the reading that we've been doing, I'm assuming you're doing it, where we're taking a book of the Bible and for basically a whole month, that book is to be read each week of that particular month. And again, I trust that's what you're doing. But one of the benefits of it is that You begin to see things that you've seen before, but now you're seeing it in a different light, if you will. Now, in John chapter 7, Jesus, he's ministering and so forth, and um, the religious leaders, they send some of their uh, soldiers to go and arrest Jesus, which is just really amazing to me how that, you know, the nation of Israel, they they did this stuff. You know, they, they sent their temple guard or whatever you want to call it to go and arrest Jesus. So they go to arrest Jesus. And when they get there, they're listening to him. <laughs> and then they turn around and they go back. 
And in verse 45 of John chapter 7, it says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Well, the answer to that is yes. You guys just either don't know it or don't want to acknowledge it. But now look here. Verse 49. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. I read that and it jumped out to me. It's like, wait a second. Hold on here. You're telling me this people, not, they're talking about the Jews, alright? This people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Well, what are you guys? Well, they didn't think they were cursed. Okay. Then, how'd those people get cursed? How'd it happen? What, what'd they do to get cursed? You're saying this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Well, are you telling me that they're cursed because they don't know the law? And even if that's not what you're saying, why is it they don't know the law? Because you guys are the ones supposed to be teaching it to the people. So if you say these people are cursed, they know not the law, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying you have done a lousy job teaching the people. But here's what complicates it. Turn to Acts 13. Acts 13. I remember when I saw that, it's like, boom, it lit up in Scripture. And I thought, good heavens. These guys seriously don't get it. They're a curse. They don't know the law. But under the law, the instructions were, the law supposed to be taught. Well, in Acts chapter 13, look at verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. See that? Read every Sabbath day. Now, do you realize what we're, we're seeing here in all this? Every Sabbath day, the people show up for church. <laughs> and the religious leaders, scribe, Pharisee, uh, a, a priest, uh, uh, the rabbis, I mean, whatever. Okay, their responsibility was to do what? Teach the law. Now, notice here, it says, every Sabbath day, it was read. The prophets, the law and the prophets, every Sabbath day, it's read. But what happened after it was read? Well, we won't go back and look at all the verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talk about this, but Jesus identified the fact that you teach the people your traditions as though it were law. So then they would stand up and they would read the 
what we would call the Bible. They would read the Bible, Law and the Prophets. They would read it to the people. Word for word. They'd read it. But then they start teaching something that is not the Law and the Prophets. Follow me? So when those guys were standing there, why didn't you arrest him and bring him in? And they, well, hey, nobody's ever taught like this guy. What? <laughs> those people, they're cursed. They know not the law. Well, that's your fault. And right along with that, if they don't know the law, then guess who else doesn't understand it? Come on. Because if they truly understood the law, they would not have incorporated the traditions that they were teaching to people. So what they're really saying is, those people are cursed because they don't know the law. The reason they don't know the law is because we've not been properly, correctly teaching the law. And the reason we haven't been doing that is because we don't really understand it and we exalt what we do believe over what is written. Does any of this sound familiar? Now look over in Acts chapter 17. So every day in church, the law, the prophets is being read. But, <laughs> it's not being taught. Well, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited... For them, the people that were coming to meet up with him. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, that's Mars Hill, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest strange things to our ears, we would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. See that? That passage right there is describing so much of the body of Christ. You say, well, what do you mean? All right, I'll, ex I'll explain. Over the years, people have come to me and they said things like, So, Pastor Jim, got any new revelation? That's, a, that's exactly what's happening right here. Some new thing. Got any new revelation? So, Pastor Jim, what's the Lord been sharing with you? What's He been sharing with me? Uh, now, the people that ask that question, the truth of the matter is, they're probably better off that God doesn't start revealing a whole lot of things to the person being questioned. You understand what I'm saying? As in, Pastor Jim, what's the Lord been showing you? Well, He's been showing me that, you know, you're goofing off in your walk with Him. No, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, you know, something really deep. 
for you, this is deep. Pastor Jim, what's God been showing you lately? Well, what's He been showing you? And then you're never going to get a decent answer on that one. Got any new revelation? Brother Martin, got any new revelation? You know what? Living by what you've received leads to receiving what you might call new revelation, which is actually deeper understanding of what has already been revealed. New revelation. I don't mean to be cruel, but people who ask that question, they're really not pressing into God. I mean, some people, I guess that's just a an effort to establish some sort of conversation. But really, that's not the best thing to ask. Now, it's one thing somebody might say, has God shown you anything about what's happening in China? Okay, that's a, or, you know, has God shown you anything about what's happening in Germany? Or God shown you, that's different. But just the whole generic, well, has God shown you anything lately? Got any new revelation? Seriously? What if I say no? (laughs) Well, then you must not be praying, seeking God. (laughs) Well, what's he been showing you? Well, I ain't the preacher. Ah, I get it. In other words, the responsibility for the things of God in your life is on my shoulders. I don't think so. Brother Martin, God been revealing anything to you? No, not really. No, I just make up my sermons as I go and just, you know, hope they're right. (laughs) I mean, people don't get into the Word. They're not going to know either way, right? I mean, you know what? Thinking about that, what if I did stand up here and say something that's wrong but sounded right, would you know? Because you see, I could do it in a way that make it sound really good. Would you know? You better. After all this time being here, you better. Now, this whole thing of um, what I'm leading up to is this. We're believing for revival. And I truly believe that we've entered into what you might call um, the the entry-level stages of revival. And what we've learned to this point is that the revival God wants is not simply a matter of uh, a lot of people getting born again. It's not simply a matter of the signs and the wonders, the miracles and all that. But it's also a matter of people being properly taught and discipled in their walk with God. So therefore, when it comes to the kind of revival that God wants, there also has to be, along with the salvations, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the demonstrations of power and so forth, there also has to be the correct doctrine. Otherwise, you're not going to have the full revival that God desires. You have to have it all. You can't settle for anything less. You've got to have it all. Now turn over to um, Acts 15. We're going to read something. And in this, well, we're, we're going to use this passage to kind of exemplify 
why it's so critical that doctrine is correct in revival. Now, in this passage, what we're reading obviously has taken place after Acts chapter 2, Day of Pentecost. But what's happening is revival is, is going on. In other words, the gospel is going out and people are being born again all over the place. Now, granted, we know, you read the book of Acts, and you can see how that there were Jews who are so stubborn, they just, if you preach Jesus, they wanted to kill you. I mean, they didn't care what kind of demonstrations of power, healings, deliverance, miracles. They didn't care. They just, you know, you preaching Jesus, we're going to kill you. Instead of listening and searching the scriptures, they just, we'll kill you. So not everybody was open to this. But you also had Gentiles who were open to the gospel and were being born again. So this passage we're getting ready to read is something that was happening during what we call revival. So we pick it up in chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So in other words, what they're saying is, well, you can believe in Jesus. And this is what they were saying. You can believe in Jesus and believe he died on the cross and so forth. Believe he's the Messiah. But if you're not circumcised in accordance with the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, you and I both know that these Jews who were teaching this, they made it sound really, really Good. How do we know? Well, we keep reading. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, that is a nice way of saying they had an argument. And it got testy. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. So then... What Paul said, Damascus Road, Paul. Signs, wonders, miracles, Paul. What he said wasn't good enough. We're going to send you and Barnabas and some of our guys. You're going to Jerusalem and you're going to talk to the people who really know what's going on. Well, in being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. That's a a tremendous summary of what they were sharing. So who knows, it might have taken them hours and hours, maybe a couple of days to share everything that was going on. But, verse 5, there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, that right there is powerful. Because you've got Pharisees who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're still recognized as Pharisees, but they believed. Certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, what do they mean by keeping the law of Moses? Well, the Ten Commandments themselves were not, did not include circumcision. Circumcision was Let's just say it was an addendum to the Ten Commandments. All right. Now, when they say they need to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses, it wasn't simply a they need to be circumcised and keep the Ten Commandments. It was they need to be circumcised and keep the works of the law. 
This is what they're talking about. Well, it says, verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter, or to talk this over. And when there had been much disputing, I guess something kind of like what goes on in, in the halls of Congress today, <laughs> when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now he's talking about when he went to Cornelius' house. Remember that? Cornelius was a Gentile and Peter had a vision. Cornelius had a vision. Peter went to go see him. And he says, you know, it's not lawful for us Jews to go into the home of a Gentile, but I had this vision. And so Peter begins preaching unto them. And, and Cornelius, he had assembled his family and the people under him because he was a high-ranking soldier in Rome. He had all these people together, and as Peter is preaching, all of a sudden, these people that believed, they, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and started speaking in tongues. So Peter is reminding this group of what they already knew had happened when Peter ministered. And so he says that the gospel, or that the Gentiles by my uh, mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now when he says our fathers, he's talking about from Moses on up to, meaning all throughout our history. You know, those who went before us, they couldn't keep this. They, they just they couldn't do it. Verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. They who? The others, the, the, the Gentiles being saved. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. This, this James, this is the brother of Jesus. Hearken unto me. Simeon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Therefore, my sentence, James says, therefore, my sentence, my declaration is that we trouble not them, the Gentiles, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Now, what he's talking about here is not... Uh, not participating, well, no, what's a better way to say it? Not, um, okay, let me simplify it. Don't go to the market and buy meat that you know is a result of animals being offered up as sacrifices to pagan gods. Because if you do that, then people will interpret that as you giving approval to the sacrifice to the pagan god. That's what they're talking about here. And he says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. 
Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles and Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, unity. See that? One accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's doing right there, remember, at first... These folks back there in Antioch were saying, well, Paul, yeah, thank you for your input, but there are other people who know better than you. What's happening with this is, they, the other apostles, are giving their stamp of approval to Paul and to Barnabas. In other words, when these guys talk, you listen to them, because it's just like you're hearing us when they speak. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So, when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. They read this declaration to them, this letter, which, when they had read, they rejoiced, for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. All right, now. God, now remember, this event is taking place during revival. God gave no law of Moses to Adam. You understand that? Well, even back with Adam, it wouldn't have been called the law of Moses. Yeah, Moses who? <laughs> but no, God did not say, okay, now, Adam, first off, we're going to have to circumcise you. And then, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't do that, don't do this, do that. You follow what I'm saying? You've got to have this feast, you've got to have that festival, you've got to do this. You've got to... Okay, God gave no such instructions to Adam. Really, the only instructions that he gave him were, tend and keep the garden, don't eat from this tree over here. And that's pretty much it. So, God never gave what we call the law of Moses to Adam, even though it would have been called a whole different name. He never gave any of those regulations or those works to Adam. That law did not exist until after Genesis 3. In fact, it was, I don't know, about 2,500 years after Genesis 3 that uh, God, through Moses, gave the law. Now, if God's original plan for humanity was to live 
without being under those regulations. And if those regulations only came into existence after man fell in Genesis 3, then if something happens to an individual so that the individual no longer has the Genesis 3 fallen spirit, then that individual has been been restored spiritually back to God's Genesis 1 plan. That being the case, nothing associated with the law of Moses pertaining to circumcision or you have to worship on Saturday, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, none of it applies to the Genesis 1 spiritual people. You follow what I'm saying? None of it. None of it. Now, furthermore, there's no need for us as believers to live under those regulations. If somebody says that you need to, they are wrong. Look in chapter 15, verse 1. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Well, in this discussion, what we find is, look in verse 22. It pleased the apostles and elders of the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, you know, Judas, Barsabbas, Silas, okay. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So what we're seeing right here is absolute, total, 100% unity among the apostles and the ones that they have sent forth. Because, verse 24, for as much as we have heard that certain men which went out from us, which went out, he doesn't say we sent them to you, they went out from us. He says they troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Now, the apostles themselves are confirming in this that God does not expect Christians to live by the works of the law. This is God saying this in here. It's not an opinion of man. This is God revealing it. But furthermore, it says here in verse 24 that if anybody, anyone, it doesn't matter who they are, if anybody is teaching you that you need to keep the works of the law, then this person is troubling you and subverting your soul. See that? Now, this word troubling, what does it mean? It comes from the Greek word uh, terasso or terato, uh, and it means to stir up, agitate, create a condition in the mind of fear, uncertainty, duress, and confusion. In other words, the troubling is, You believed in Jesus Christ. 
You've been told you've been set free, but now you're told to do something which seems to contradict the freedom you've been told about in Christ. See that? There's a, there's a contradiction here. It's a troubling. But then this word, the um, subverting, it comes from the Greek word anaskeuizo, and I'm sure I have mispronounced that. It means the image is to pack up baggage in order to remove it. And it's used in reference to marauders who invade a place in order to take things away. So then, what he's saying in this is, anyone who teaches, you have to keep works of the law to truly be saved or to truly be a good Christian, this person is subverting your soul. God looks at this person as an invading marauder who is undermining the very foundation of your salvation. Now, I know right, I know for a fact there are Christians who would want to fight me over this. But you tell me where the apostles have established anything other. It's not in there. And I'm going to tell you right now. Now listen closely to me. The moment people start saying you have to keep the works of the law, they are taking you off the path of truth and you are now on a path to hell. Well, how do you figure that? Because the moment you're telling people they have to put their faith in works of the flesh for their salvation is the moment you're telling them faith in Jesus alone isn't good enough. And the Bible makes it very clear there's no other way to be born again other than through faith in Jesus Christ. You keep your salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Now, I'm not saying that people say, that the people who say, well, you can't have church on Sunday, you've got to have church on Saturday. I'm not saying that all these people are, you know, that's it, it's over, done with, they're going to be in the lake of fire. What I'm saying is, you start on this path, where does it end? Where, where does it end? Well, ultimately, if you continue on that path, you're going to end up serving the law more than Christ. And over in Hebrews, there is a warning. And we're not going to go back and look at it. But it's warned in Hebrews. It says that, and I'm paraphrasing, you go back under the law and you're done for. Because you've turned your back on Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, you've got a bunch of Christians. They're out there. They're showing up in church. Now listen, they show up in church. The Bible is read every Sabbath. <laughs> they're showing up. It's read. But then, the traditions are being taught that subvert and trouble the hearer. Are you following what I'm saying? It's dangerous. And yet, what we're reading, this took place during revival. And so the apostles had to bring about a correction to this. Teaching the observation of the works of the law is not a part of revival. And it's not a part of revival doctrine. That doesn't mean people won't get born again in such churches. But what it means is it's not a part of revival. It's not what God's after. And as you continue to study Scripture, you're going to see that there is a... Well, in fact, Galatians. You know, the Apostle Paul, he brings this forth. He says, look, if you believe that circumcision is something that's required 
then you know what? <laughs> You're going to have to keep all the law. Because the whole concept of circumcision connected to the covenant so that you could be right before God goes back to the law. The law. Now, I know God gave the sign of circumcision to Abraham. But it wasn't until circumcision was connected to the law that was given to Moses did the two become like a, a singular teaching. You follow what I mean? Now, this is one example, just one, of how important it is that the doctrine is right in revival. If this had not been corrected, then you would have had more and more Christians hearing, well, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to keep the law. And they would have started doing that. And you know what would have happened? Eventually, eventually, they would have been raising their children to believe that. And then their children would have been raising their children and they would have gone so far off, so far away from Jesus Christ that now they would have been just like the Jews, totally 100% dependent upon did you kill the right animal? Did you eat the right thing? Did you abstain from the wrong thing? Did you observe this? Are you wearing that? And on and on it goes. That's why this had to be corrected. It had, and, and I don't know about these, like verse 1, certain men which came down from Judea teaching this. I don't know what happened after the fact. But I'm guessing, based on the way people are, I'm guessing some of them would still, no matter what, have refuted and say, no, those guys are wrong. Those guys are wrong. If God didn't want us living under this law and these works, He would never have given it to us. <laughs> Why did He give it to you? Well, the Apostle Paul explains, because you had a sin nature. He was trying to reveal to you, you're messed up. Well, if you're no longer messed up, why do you need the works of the law? If you, if you now have that Genesis 1 spirit of life, why do you need the uh, Exodus law? I mean, why? You don't, you don't. And the one thing you don't need is to be troubled and your soul subverted. Okay, now this is just one example. Just one. But this is an example of how critical it is that we live under the correct doctrine for revival. Look over in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Now in Matthew 28, Jesus has been crucified. He has risen. And it's, He's ready to ascend back to, to heaven. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. See that? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Okay, now, commanded is a past tense, correct? So then, you can't teach something unless it has been taught to you, correct? So then we read this and we think, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all these things that Jesus commanded them, they now go out and teach it. Well, are you sure that's what he's talking about here? Look over in John chapter 16. John chapter 16 
And here in John chapter 16, this is before Jesus is crucified. Look what he says. Verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, it just... I mean, John chapter 16 is a part of, you know, a, a teaching by Jesus that lasts several chapters. And at the end of this, he gets arrested. And he gets crucified. So... What he's saying right here is, let me you know, be dramatic about it, this is just hours away from his arrest and subsequent crucifixion. Now, if he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, don't you think that these many things he has yet to say unto them are things that he will want them to teach once he's gone? I mean, otherwise, why say it? Why tell them if you don't want them to teach? So he says, but you cannot bear them now. Why couldn't they bear them at this point? It's because spiritually they weren't prepared to receive it. Now these two passages reveal what we saw in Matthew, what we see here in John. These two passages reveal that they were supposed to teach what Jesus taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and beyond. All right. Look in Hebrews chapter 1. We'll come back here to John in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 1. Now in Hebrews chapter 1, this is written years after Jesus has ascended back to the Father. Exactly how many years? I'm not sure. But it could be anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50 years later. So in Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 1. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. So what we see right here in Hebrews is that Jesus didn't stop speaking. You hear what I'm saying? This is very important. Jesus didn't stop speaking. He spoke while He was here on earth, and He is speaking afterward. Alright, now let's get an example of, uh, turn over to John, turn back to John chapter 14. How does He do this? Well, in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, why is that critical? Because Jesus said in verse 16, I'll pray the Father, He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So the Comforter was dwelling with them. Okay, let me present it like this. How is the Comforter dwelling with them? Because the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, was in Jesus. Didn't, wasn't Jesus filled with the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. We've seen this in Scripture. So now the Comforter in Jesus has been with them. But Jesus is saying, after I ascend back to the Father, then the Comforter, He's not simply going to go with me, but he, He's going to be here with you. He's been with you, but He will be in you. And, verse 26, the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
So He's going to be in you, and it's from that place in you that He is going to be teaching you. And if you jump over to chapter 16, verse 13, Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. Alright, what is this telling us? It's telling us, now he's, Jesus is trying to, to present this, this image of how this teaching process continues. I've been with you, but I'm not going to be with you anymore. However, the Comforter who's been in me has been with you by virtue of Him being in me. But when I return back to the Father, the Father is going to send a Comforter to you and He will be in you. I've told you that there are more things that you need to hear, but you can't bear them right now. However, once the Comforter is in you, He will guide you into all truth. He will teach you all things. He'll put you in remembrance of what I have said. But also, look at this, whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. In other words, I will tell the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit needs to speak to you as He is in you. And the things that I can't presently teach you will be taught to you after the Spirit of truth is in you. He will pick up where I have left off and He will only teach you the things that you need to be taught just like I only said the things the Father spoke to me. Are you following this? So what we see then is that Jesus continued to speak by ver- or continued to teach by virtue of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now look over in um, Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, look at uh, uh, Paul is preaching to King Agrippa. And in verse 14, Paul says, now he's talking about the Damascus Road experience. He says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee, make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and, now look here, of those things into which I will appear unto thee. See that? When you read the encounter that Paul had back in Acts chapter 9, that's not the whole story. You need to keep reading in Acts and you see things like this, where he gives us more insight as to what happened on the Damascus road when he had this encounter with the Lord. But notice this. He says, you'll be a minister and witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. I will reveal unto thee. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now what did he just tell us that Jesus told him? 
He says, I'll appear to you. I will reveal things unto you. I will show things unto you. And this meant, as time goes on, I'll show you these things. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. All right. Now, he's talking about himself. So this means it was 14 years after the Damascus Road um, experience and years after that, you know, time has gone by. In other words, a, a magnitude of time has gone by since the Damascus Road experience. Now, here we are, you know, 14 years and beyond later here. He says, 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such an one caught up in the third heaven. So, 14 years has passed since he has experienced something incredible with God and the something incredible he experienced with God was years after the Damascus Road experience. In other words, the Lord has been ministering to him all this time. And he says, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. This is King Jamesy. But what he's saying is, I, was, I received things that man by himself cannot come up with. I received teaching. I received instruction. And this is what he passed on to people. In other words, it follows that pattern of what Jesus said. I have many things to teach you. You can't handle them now. But you'll learn after the fact. So now Paul wasn't with Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when Jesus showed up to him, he had to basically say, well, let me tell you what the other guys heard. And review the teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then take it beyond that. So all these years have passed, and Paul's having this encounter with the Lord, and he's revealing these things to him. Now look over in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and just pick it up uh, beginning in verse 1. He says, Then fourteen years after. I went up again, Paul is writing, and, and he says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and all, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Alright, what's happened? He's gone up to Jerusalem, and he's meeting with the apostles, and he's sharing with them what it is that he teaches. Now, the reason this is important is because what it means is he hadn't been taught by them. Otherwise, they would know what he teaches. You understand? So, he goes up and he's sharing these things with them. He said, look, guys, I just want you to know what it is that I'm preaching and teaching. Well, you jump down to verse 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. Now, look here. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference, added nothing to me. In other words, as we were speaking, and as I was sharing with them everything I teach, and they're telling me everything they teach, they didn't tell me anything I didn't know already. And I would never been with them. I never sat at their feet. I never spent years listening to their preaching and their teaching. I received this from the Lord. And he says, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was uh, unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. 
And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So what are we seeing there here in this? We're seeing that when, when Paul and those with him sat down with the apostles, and Paul is sharing, here's what I teach, and the apostles are saying, well, here's what we teach. They realized they both had received the teaching from the same source. And where it says that you know uh, James and, and Peter and John gave to me and Barnabas right hands of fellowship, what that means is, we agree with what you're doing. We agree with your doctrine. We agree with everything that you're preaching and teaching. So now as you go forth, here's some things. Just remember, remember the poor, so on and so forth. Are you, do you get this? In other words, there was total unity between Paul, Barnabas, everybody that was with him, and all the apostles and the people that sat at the apostles' feet, if you will. There's unity. Okay, now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 15. Paul says, For though you have 10,000 instructors, there's a lot of sarcasm in this. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So, whether it was a church at Corinth, Galatia, um, Ephesians, I mean, it didn't matter. Whatever church he went to, wherever he went, he's preaching and teaching the same doctrine, which was the same doctrine that the apostles taught. There's total unity in this. And he says, I'm sending unto you Timothy... He will teach to you the same things that I teach in every church. That means there is total, complete unity between Timothy and Paul. And if Peter or John or James or one of the others would show up where Timothy was ministering and they're listening to him, and somebody in the congregation were to say, Peter, is this right? Peter would have said, oh, absolutely. That's the same thing we teach. Right, John? John, yes, amen. There was this total, absolute, complete unity. Now, how did Timothy get this information? Well, if you keep reading and uh, go back and read in Acts, and you see where uh, Timothy was recommended to Paul, he said, "You need to listen to this guy, uh, Timothy. You know he's got his act together, so on and so forth." So Paul listened to him, met with him, and then took him with him as he traveled. So now Timothy. Everything he's learned up until the time he's with Paul, and then from that time on with Paul in the travels, he's hearing Paul teach, correct? Somebody look at me, well, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, he was. He, he heard Paul teach. Every service, every time Paul ministered, Timothy heard it. Every time he heard it. Now, the day came. I don't know when, but the day came when Paul would have said, Timothy, why don't you take tonight's service? And so now Timothy, he stands up, talk about intimidating. You know, there's the Apostle Paul, and I'm supposed to teach? Are you serious? But Timothy teaches. 
And you know what he would have taught? The same thing that Paul taught. Follow this? The same thing. And Paul would have had a big old smile on his face and yes, yes, amen. Preach it, boy. Preach it. <laughs> but he was teaching the same thing. Now look in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. In verse 2, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So here's what we see. Paul taught Timothy. And then Paul says, All this that you've learned, you now teach it to the next generation the next spiritual level, so that they then can turn around and teach it to others. You get this? Now look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse 19, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now look at that. He says, now that you're born again, you're a part of the household of God, you're part of His family, and you are built upon, or you, you mature, you grow up spiritually on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, or the teaching of the apostles and prophets, and their cornerstone for this teaching was Jesus Christ. See that? So in other words, what he's telling us is that those things the Holy Spirit taught, he received it from Jesus. In other words, it ultimately goes back to Jesus, the head of the church. He says, now you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, their teaching, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of what they taught. And here's what this means. If you had gone to, I don't know, one of those cities in, in, the, old, in the New Testament, and you listen to, you sit for a week and you listen to, uh, you know, a, a crusade by Peter. It's like, man, that guy's good. That's really good. Well, then you go to another city and you listen to a crusade by Apollos. Then you go to another city, you know, a few weeks, a few months later, whatever, and you listen to a crusade by Barnabas, and then you go someplace else and you, you listen to Paul and so forth. Eventually, you're going to come to the conclusion, all they do is preach each other's sermons. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I went to Peter, and I hear the same thing, you know, you know, go to Paul. I hear, you know, tongues, tongues, tongues. I go hear Matthew. Tongues, tongues, tongues. All these guys do. Preach each other's sermons. Seriously. Where'd they get them? Where'd they get those sermons? From the cornerstone. Jesus Christ. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's where it came from. Of course you're going to hear the same thing. It's just a little different in delivery. Personality. Some some have more humor injected than others. I get that. But the message. What's the message? It's the same thing. No difference whatsoever. 
None. Now, those who are pressing in harder and deeper and, and putting forth this effort, they're uh, pressing more into the Lord and, and, and adhering. They are adhering to the apostles' doctrine. Listen to me. They're all going to preach the same thing today. Do you hear me? Well, I've listened to Brother Martin and all he does is preach that stuff that Dave Roberson taught. I've listened to that Bronx Flint and all he does is preach what Gary Carpenter preaches. I've listened. Oh, well, what do you want us to teach? Of course the sermons are going to be the same. Of course, if it's truth, it's going to be the same. It will absolutely be the same. So you're telling me that I preach the same things Dave Roberson preaches. Well, glory to God. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that compliment. It's these people who keep asking for new revelation. They're the ones that are messed up. Because when you're, when you're riding the wagon of truth, you're going to rejoice every time you hear it, even if it's the 50-11th time you've heard it. Y'all just preach each other's sermons. Thank you. You're right, we do. Because truth is truth and it needs to be delivered. We know in part, we prophesy in part. So if I hear truth from somebody else, then I know you need to hear it. Why would I not deliver the same thing? And over the years, again and again and again, over the years... I stand up and deliver a message. What I don't know is essentially some of the same things are being taught in Immokalee, Florida and Tulsa, Oklahoma the same Sunday. How'd that happen? Well, you had a Zoom conference and you all got together. (laughs) No. How's it happen? Maybe we're all listening to the same source. Maybe we're getting the truth, the instruction for the teaching. From the same person. And it's not each other. I mean, what would you have us do? Seriously. What would you have us do? People who seek out, crave, look for new revelation. They're not firmly established in truth. I don't care what they tell you. They're not. I'm so tired of hearing about praying in tongues. Why? I mean, if you were praying in tongues... On a regular basis, you wouldn't be tired of hearing about praying in tongues. Because it would just edify and encourage you in what you're doing. I'm so tired of hearing about fasting. Well, it's convicting. I'll give you that much. But it's truth. And I need to hear it. Because quite frankly, the more I hear it, the more I get convicted, the more I might end up doing it. (laughs) Yeah, Mike. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I just don't like that Gary Carpenter. I'm leaving the prayer center. Well, I just don't like that that Bronk Flint. He he's off. I'm I'm just leaving. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. Oh, that Pastor Martin. I don't like his personality. You know, sometimes he's too blunt. I mean, I just. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to another church. He offended me. He preached a sermon and he was talking about me. Did I identify you by name? Well, no. Well, then how do you know I was preaching about you? Or maybe you needed to be preached about. <laughs> you ever think about that one? 
No, Brother Martin, I ain't never thought about that one. Okay, so fine. All right, you, you left. You went somewhere. You're, you're at another church. You're, you're at wherever you... You're happy church. Whatever you're attending now. Okay, I'm going to ask you something. What is your better church teaching about praying in the Spirit? About praying in the time? You know, no, don't, don't, don't be beating around the bush here on this one. What is your better church? You said you were leaving this one to go find a better church. What is that better church teaching about praying in tongues? Is it even teaching about praying in tongues? I know a man. I met him years ago. We went to the same church. I won't give his name or where he is today. But um, he eventually went into ministry. You know, years passed. He went into ministry, started a church. The church has grown. It's really a pretty good sized church. Now, because we were at the same church for a, a number of years, I know what he heard. I know what he was taught. I know. Because I was there in the same services. I know. Well, I met somebody. I met more than one person who attends, or at least they did at the time, attends that church that he's pastoring. And in the conversation, I've asked about some of these things. And what I found out is, Basically, there's no teaching about praying in tongues. In fact, one, well, let's just say one person, at least one, felt very comfortable compromising as though it was no big deal. And I know what this this pastor heard. I know what he was taught. And now he's turned away from it. I'm not saying he's turned away from Jesus Christ. He hasn't turned away from telling people they need to be born again. But what I'm saying is, he's turned away from the fullness of the foundations that he was taught. Because see, if you're going to teach what the apostles taught, you're going to tell people about being filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to tell people about praying in tongues. You're going to tell about fasting. You're going to tell about worship. You're going to tell about... Because the, the apostles, they not only taught what Jesus taught them, they not only taught what the Holy Spirit revealed to them, but they also taught how it correlated with the things recorded in the Law and the Prophets. It's prophetic nature. So this, this better church that you're going to, what do they teach you about praying in tongues? Anything? Ever? What do, what do they teach you about worship? Public worship. You know, I mean, like congregational worship and private worship. What do they teach you about singing in the Spirit and singing with the understanding? Do they ever bring that up? What do they teach you about fasting? And there's one... Well, he's not around town anymore, but there was one pastor here had a pretty good-sized church. He believed signs, wonders, miracles, and all that. But he actually stood up and said, "Fasting doesn't do, fasting doesn't do anything but make you hungry." Well, that's not what Scripture says. So, this better church that you have found, what does it teach you about fasting? Well, along with that, what does this better church teach you about the Word? About meditating in the Word? Has that church ever taught how to meditate Scripture? Has that church ever taught the connection between? between reading and reading and reading and praying in tongues, that connection. Has your church, has that better church you found teach about any of this? Okay, then why on God's green earth are you in that church when you were in a church that taught those things in the first place? Why did you leave? 
Well, it's because maybe... Now, I know some people, they, they move. Okay, I understand it. I get it. Totally get it. Legitimate reasons. But a lot of these people that have left, it's because they're stubborn, pride. They're refusing to receive the truth revealed in the Word of God. Look, maybe you don't like me. I mean, I, I can't imagine that. But maybe you don't. Maybe you don't like me. Maybe you do think I'm too blunt. You've got to get past the personality and focus on the truth that's being delivered. Whether it's here, or Tulsa, or Immokalee, or any other such church. You've got to get past the person. See, a lot of these folks that, well, I just don't... You'd have a hard time listening to John the Baptist. I mean, that, that guy, he was no-nonsense. And there were times when Jesus was no-nonsense. Got a bunch of people... I mean, read this. People got upset with him. Who can handle this? Well, why don't you ask? This better church, is it really teaching you the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Is it really? And if it is, I'd sure like to know about it. But I'm telling you right now, based on my experience and hearing people who have left such churches to go find the better church, I have yet to hear one come back and say, or, or I have yet to hear through the grapevine, right? Because they're not, they don't, they're not going to come back to me. They're not going to go back to Pastor Bronx. They're not going to go back to, you know, Gary or whoever. I haven't heard through the grapevine that the church, the, this better church, is now teaching the same things that were being taught in our churches. I'm not exalting myself. Please, don't, don't think this. But what I'm saying is, we're not built up on anything other than the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And if you're going to a church that does not teach these things, if you left a church that's teaching these things, and you're going to what you believe is a better church, where is that teaching? Where is it? Yeah, but they've got good people there. <laughs> so, so do cults. Not every cult is going to feed you poison Kool-Aid. Well, yeah, but the pastor, he's so easy to listen to. <laughs> you know what? So are a lot of cult leaders that will take you right away from Jesus Christ. You're looking at personality. Oh, I really like him. He's got such a wonderful smile. That's because he had plastic surgery and it's permanent. He can't do anything. <laughs> now, I'm just joking around here, okay? No. See, when you stand before God, you're going to be judged by the Word. Not by the personality of the preacher. Revival doctrine is exclusive to the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And if it's not being taught where you are, you need to ask yourself why you're in that church. And if you left, say this church, if you left this church because you got mad at me, well, I'm not trying to be cruel to you, but you need to get over it. And you need to figure out what are you going to do next. And I'll tell you right now, the door is open. But it's up to you. Now guys, as we continue to go forward, 
There are going to be times we're all going to hear messages that might make us feel a little uncomfortable. But you know what? In the past, I remember there are times when I was a kid and doc, mom took me to the doctor and the doctor would prescribe medicine, like, you know, cough syrup or something. I, uh, I thought I was going to puke. I mean, it was horrible stuff. But you got to take it. you got to take it. And there are other times I've taken drugs that kind of made me drowsy. But the doctor says, well, you've got to take it. you got to take it. Well, I didn't like it. But I did it. That's the way it is in church. Sometimes you hear things that make you a little uncomfortable. But when it's the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it's for our good. Whom the Lord loves, He what? He chastises. He corrects. For what purpose? So that we conform to the perfect image of the glory of Jesus Christ. We are being prepared to be hosts for revival. Glory to God. Not always easy, but we'll get there. Praise the Lord.